Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Hello, and welcome to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, the podcast highlighting founders doing it the way that doesn't get a lot of attention. We're here to change that by sharing their stories and inspiring others to take the leap. It's a roller coaster ride that you might ultimately fail. That's when I kind of knew I was on to something. It was very hard. It truly is building a legacy. The more life you live, the more wisdom you have. Because we are where we're supposed to be, kind of answering the call. Don't shoulder entrepreneurship on your own. I'm your host, Nate Schutz. Let's build something together from the ground up. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. Another week, another founder, as we do around here. And this week, I'm excited to introduce Robert Meehan, who's the team captain over at Direct Traffic Solutions in Florida. Robert and I met in August of this year in Tennessee and became fast friends. And he shared a few stories with me. And I said, Robert, I don't know how many podcasts you've been on or that you've done, but we got to hear the rest of your story because I know you have more stories than most. But first, thank you for being here. How are we finding you today? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, I'm ready to share my story. Well, let's just go right to the very beginning. I, I obviously know a few parts of it from some of our previous conversations. One of the most interesting parts to me was I always like to ask the question, how did you fund your company in the beginning? How did you pull together the money? I borrowed a uh, considerable amount of money. It was about $200,000 uh, from my brother-in-law, who was uh, graciously uh, unwilling at first to do that. And then, uh, you know, he went to the bank and he guaranteed the loan. DTS was born July 1st, 2012. What did the bankers have to say about your agreement? You know, when I, when I first uh, spoke to the banker, she wouldn't even look me in the eye and she didn't want to give me the loan. And I was a little taken back by that, knowing that, uh, you know, my brother-in-law, you know, had a lot of money with the bank and, you know, he's willing to uh, put his name on the line. And I asked her, I said, you know, if I don't get the loan, perhaps, uh, you know, my brother-in-law is going to be very upset. And she took her glasses off and she looked at me and she goes, you know, when you screw this all up, Robert, you know, it's going to be very uncomfortable to go back to him and tell him that now I have to sweep 200 grand of his cash. Did that make you feel like she didn't have the confidence in your vision or just too much experience in banking and maybe seeing, you know, a lot of ships go down? Yeah, perhaps that is, you know, perhaps, you know, there's a lot of failures, right? A lot more failure stories or failures in general than there are success stories. You know, we know that to be true. And the first five years, three to five years usually tells that story. So I think it was a combination of a lot of different things. One, they don't want to uh, come back to my brother-in-law to ask him for the money based on the percentages of companies that fail. So I think it was a combination. And you've obviously, you know, done quite well. Can you tell us where Direct Traffic Solutions is at now? And, you know, you've had 11-ish years. What does it look like now after those humble beginnings? Yeah, so humility still falls into place, you know, today. You know, last year with the market, you know, we did uh, approximately $92 million. 
and uh, top line revenue, which was a true blessing and, and the hard work of everybody else around me. I'm just uh, thankful to take the credit, right? But this year, you know, with the economy and, and the way the, the freight market is, you know, we're probably on pace around 67. You know, we're just tightening the belt a little bit, streamlining and, and processing like automation and other things that we see necessary for when the market turns. What do you think people get wrong about building freight brokerages? Because there's not very many folks that can get to almost nine figures in any kind of company, much less logistics. It's the people. It's the people that drive it. It's the culture. You know, in the very beginning, it was very difficult. You know, sometimes, you know, if you had four people and one person really wasn't pulling their weight and you you remove that person, it was 25 percent of your workforce. And so along the way, it's understanding the people, trying to get the most out of them and trying to either find the right position for them or recruiting a person that fits that criteria the best. And that's how we elevated and, you know, DTS. I'd love to sit here and take all the credit, but it was the great people around me and it's still accelerating today because of them. So as you have now, you know, you look back on a decade's worth of team members and customers and building systems and doing all of those things, the company needs to change and evolve at each of those stages. How about you as a founder and as the leader of the company? How has it pushed and stretched you into places that maybe you didn't expect? The one piece that I've been pushed into has been the automation, right? Technology segment. You know, I come from, you know, driving a truck you know, that's where I started and dispatching. So, you know, roll your sleeves up, the ground and pound, uh, however you want to lay in the bricks. Now it has evolved so quickly into the technology sector and the automation. Every day I'm trying to learn a little bit more who's out there providing a better service. So it's constant. And I think just, uh, you know, educating myself has been the number one, you know, criteria for me to keep advancing DTS to where it needs to get to. Well, one, I want to go back and I want to hear more about your truck driving days. And I know your father was a truck driver too, wasn't he? Yeah, my dad worked for the News Mailman's Delivery Union, NMDU in North Bergen, New Jersey. And he delivered newspapers and magazines uh, throughout New York City and Northern Jersey. Fair to say that transportation's in your blood. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I remember, you know, even going on the truck with him, you know, many, many times and, uh, you know, helping him you know, make deliveries. And, you know, one day he cut off his thumb in Grand Central Station by putting it on a cart going down this little ramp where everybody walks to the train. And he kind of lost control of the weight of the magazines and the thumb hit the wall with the cart and he lost like the tip of his thumb. They wound up putting his toe on his thumb and it was comical for the next, uh, you know, 30 years. I mean, I would love to hear what some of the jokes were. I mean, (laughs) hitchhiking must have been tougher. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, it definitely changed his uh, fingerprints. So uh, they had to redo those as well. So you followed in his footsteps somewhat. And you mentioned dispatching. Dispatching is one of those jobs that I don't think many people understand the adrenaline of it and that you have to be a fairly aggressive person. You can't just accept whatever's happening. You're trying to get, you know, orders moving and drivers on to the next job and you got to be super rapid fire. When you think back to those days, how do you remember the energy of it? 
You know, it was all paper. You know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, paper bins with, you know, truck numbers and driver's names and trying to match up the PODs after they handed in the paperwork. So it was always forward thinking for me. It was, you know, where are they headed? Um, where are they going to pick up? I used the big graph. We actually had it made. It was pretty organized, but at the same time, disorganized because of all the paperwork. It's dispatch. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's dispatch. <laughs> so it was interesting, but I think that way really taught me a lot about, you know, how to connect the dots. What do you have the most fun working on nowadays? I think it's still the people. I think engaging uh, the people, you know, listening to them, although I'm at the top, but I'm still at the ground floor. And I learned so much by just having a two minute to five minute conversation with someone walking in the hallway or on a team's chat or just calling somebody out of the blue and be like, hey, and usually it frightens them because uh, most people don't get a call from, you know, you know, the head bottle washer, floor sweeper and, uh, and team captain. So uh, it's pretty interesting sometimes. Not everybody knows this, but we have a, a group of founders that get together every month that are all in the logistics space. And in one of the recent conversations, we were talking about titles. And I like that when I asked you to put together, you know, give me some background information for the podcast, you put your title in as team captain. In our conversations that we have with founders, they often describe themselves as the chief dishwasher or the janitor or a role that is in service rather than one that's in power. How did you get to that place of humility and values in your own life to be able to steer a company using those same principles? Yeah, so it was the Ballast Group, which is a great event. And, uh, you know, I encouraged a lot of other, you know, founders to join that group. It gave me a lot of insight as well. It was a, a two by four across the head, basically, for me. I was dispatching and I was giving a driver who was working for the company for over 20 years. And I was giving him a really hard time probably being disrespectful. I was about 26 years old. The next day I get, you know, pulled out of the office by my ear into the hallway. And, uh, you know, the owner, you know, started telling me about, you know, how the people, how the drivers make the money, how the company makes money off the driver's back. And that he doesn't talk to me this way and I shouldn't talk to them that way. And I became so emotional. Like I was about to cry. Everything kind of worked out. And it was really that moment that said, okay, I get it you know, take care of the drivers, drivers take care of the company. And that's really how that servant leadership, you know, became uh, formed by that little incident. I just kept building upon it. What I like about that learning experience is it wasn't, it didn't come from success. It actually came from a failure. I mean, being too big for your britches and, you know, a young man in your 20s probably felt like you knew everything or you had all the answers. Some people take a setback like that or feedback like that and it hardens them into what they already or previously believed, and they don't actually internalize it and seek to change. And others are able to take those setbacks and be self-reflective and say, no, I actually don't like that part of who I am. I want to change and do better. I don't know if I have a question in that so much as now that you're on the other side of it, does it give you more patience with others when maybe they get too big for their britches or you see yourself in them when someone's maybe being a little too forceful? Of course, you know, uh, the best combat for that is really to stay on the defense. If you want to make that corrective action with an employee or a person, dispatcher, whoever they might be, to try to ask them questions leading up into what happened or what transpired. And then you become, 
you know, the consultant rather than the aggressor. That kind of it's changed, you know, the way I'd handle certain situations. So it's on a psychological level as well. On the more tactical side, what is your typical day like? Every day I come in and I'm excited to be here. I'm having so much fun. It's not about, you know, if you're going to have any problems or headaches, it's just how many are there and how big are they? That's kind of, you know, what my day comes in. I come in with a plan. Sometimes I finish that plan and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I get nothing accomplished of my tests, but yet engage with, you know, multiple people that, you know, my door is always open. So as you look forward to the next, let's just say 10 years, you, you know, you've been around 10 and a half ish, 11 years. When you look 10 years out into the future, what would you like to be true? I think it's about legacy, right? What are you going to leave behind or what are you going to create that people are going to say about you? In this industry, it's really, really small. I think it's about, you know, transparency, honesty, right? You know, got good values and doing business fair in the proper way. So if I could have any of those, I think it would be a success. You bring up an interesting subject. The transportation industry, logistics, given how decentralized the actual activity is, it's not all happening in the four walls of an office, you know, the entire company. It's spread all over the place. And that decentralization can sometimes act as a buffer for people to not really know who's on the other side of a transaction. And that's not an explanation for this, but distance creates the opportunity to be a bad actor at times. Because you, you might be dealing with somebody in a different country or a driver on the other side of the country that you're never going to meet and you can be rude to them or you can take advantage of them. And in our industry, anything from double brokering comes up or you know, fraudulent transactions, there are a lot of ways to lose money to bad actors in the industry. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what you see happening in the industry today that maybe didn't used to be here as much. And maybe why you think that's changed? Yeah, you know, it is the, you know, the fraud, the double brokering and, you know, we can't change people, but they've been changing the game based on technology at different apps and disguising themselves and using other uh, MC numbers or even buying them and then collapsing them afterwards. So, you know, the technology segment, you know, has done so much good for this business. But yet it creates a whole nother aspect of negativity, fraud and things of that nature. So I think that has caused, you know, a lot of that. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the coming years. I, you hit the nail on the head. Technology is a tool and it can be used for good or for evil. For where we're at right now, we're, we're seeing a lot of the dark side of the activities that technology is enabling. And again, I don't have a solution to it, but I think it's interesting to begin talking about it more candidly, letting others know what's actually going on so that we can take a bunch of people who have a different set of values and try to either put protections in place or eliminate the bad actors because there's too many good, hardworking people in the industry that are being taken advantage of and companies that are losing money left and right. And it's up to others that are going to push back against that. That gives me a degree of hope and optimism Technology is not going to change people. You're right. Like it does come down to, you know, values. Money makes people do crazy things. You know, we, we've seen it, you know, I've, I've taught my daughter, you know, numerous times that, you know, desperate people do desperate things. I don't know if you're ever going to change that, but, you know, we certainly with technology, you know, I think on the ballast group, you know, Mike Fulham, you know, he's coming up with a new product too, that anti-fraud and which is pretty interesting. So, um, 
you know, we're looking at different things. So hopefully guys like Mike Fulham and others in the industry, you know, are going to, you know, help with the technology sector to prevent that. Back to the people side of it for a minute. When you look at your current team, what are the things that get you the most excited about thinking of DTS beyond you? Like, is there a day coming where you think, I'm going to take a couple of steps back here and let the team, you know, fully run the show? And how do you look at your leadership team? I have the utmost faith in, you know, in our leadership team. And I think they're ready to kind of take control today. I'm not sure I'm ready. I always stick my nose back in there and, you know, drop in every now and then and, you know, and which is great. Right. So sometimes I create the confusion, right. Am I in or am I out? You know, that's not necessarily a good thing. It took me a long time just to let go of certain things. And it was very, very difficult because I'm always hands on. I'm always present. So I think they're ready to let me, you know, take a larger step back, but uh, we'll see how it goes. What are the things that are hard to let go of? Is it just control or is it like a sense of needing to be useful? At first it was, you know, dispatching, right? And then I let go of that. And then, you know, I let go of, uh, you know, managing the, the dispatchers and, you know, I had a hard time with that. You know, then it was, you know, some of the financials and, you know, I'm not sure if it's any one thing. It's just like habit, right? When I come in and I start a routine, it's hard to let go. So um, it's progressing as we go. I don't really have a definitive answer on it. It's just coming naturally. Well, we should actually maybe spend a minute or two and talk about DTS. I just realized as I'm saying it, we haven't really gotten into the, the basics of what it is that you do and who your ideal customers are. DTS is, you know, a third party logistics, you know, 3PL, so to speak. You know, we originated in the forest products and paper industry, and we've involved uh, outside of that scope. We're still very heavily involved, involved in other areas and freight all kinds. Our strengths uh, today are, you know, truckload, drayage, LTL, a little bit of intermodal. But, you know, we're working on those weaknesses as we go. And obviously, you know, we spoke about the technology segment of it, which is, uh, is really important. We wish you nothing but continued success. 11 years in, I don't know what the next chapter holds for you, but I know there's going to be a whole lot more stories, a whole lot more learning. And I want to check back in with you in a year or two and ask what else you've let go of or what else you've you know learned and had to take on that you didn't expect. I mean, the ride that entrepreneurship is, you know, as soon as you think you've got it figured out. Thanks for having me. And I, I'd love to be back in a year just so we can uh, compare apples to apples of where we are today and where we are tomorrow. So uh, I'm just thankful and blessed to be here. And uh, we're looking forward to the future. Thank you very much for sharing your story. We appreciate it. And we will follow up in a year. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. And a special thank you to our sponsors and the team behind the scenes who make it all possible. Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to get the latest updates. To learn more about the show and connect with the growing community of entrepreneurs, visit logisticsfounders.com. And of course, thank you to all the founders who trust us to share their stories. 